pencil in the apocalypse. I gotta get up at five o'clock in the morning and sparkle, Neely, sparkle. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women livers might say. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Maximum Film. It's episode 209, and I am your host, Ify Wadi Way, and in the booth with me, the virtual booth, all my friends. So let me introduce you to them. Alonzo Duralde, Christmas <laughs> Zaddy himself, coming off the tail end of Christmas in July, sliding into early Christmas. Alonzo starts Christmas in August. We all know this. What's good? Well, it is technically the Burr months, if you so. You know, <laughs> once September, October, November, December, we treat this as like a, just an, a, the extension of the season, really. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's good with me this week is the new Hulu series, Only Murders in the Building, uh, which is a comedy murder mystery with Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, who I now always only want to call Selena after seeing the episode of Selena and Chef where she had uh, Ud- uh, Ludo on and he kept calling her, no, no, Selena, uh, Selena. <laughs> Selena, I really want to teach you how to do the Perfect omelette. Anyway, it is, you know, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of fun. They, they play some oddball characters who live in a big old gorgeous building in New York city. They are hooked on true crime podcasts. And so naturally when someone they sort of know in the building, uh, commits suicide or so the police say they of course have to start investigating and doing a podcast about it at the same time. Um, it's just like I, I have no idea where this thing is going. I'm 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 already hooked. They they dropped the first three episodes this week, and um, a really impressive array of supporting character actors. You got your Jackie Hoffman's, your uh, Divine Joy Randolph's, your Michael Cyril Creighton's. So there's a lot. You know, if, if they got to do something between seasons of Law and Order, the New York actors, and uh, there's a lot of fun ones on this show. So if you haven't checked it out yet. Only murders in the building. You know that I have that all. I'm saving it for this weekend so I can binge watch it. Well, it's only the first three episodes. No. Yes. Oh, that's funny because I double checked to see. I thought they were all releasing because I saw just the top of the list. I was like, oh, my. They must all be coming out. Oh, I guess I'm waiting for another weekend. I was going to. Well, or actually now you now I have to look because I don't know. I, I, unlike you, not only do I not binge, I like to go into a limited series not knowing how many episodes. Oh, 10 episodes, Drea. (laughs) I guess you've got a while to wait if you want to watch the whole thing at one clip. I don't know why you think I don't have to control. I still haven't picked up Ted Lasso season two. And, you know, I love that bastard. In a serialized manner, like the rest of us do. I live in the year 3000. I'm <laughs> year 2000 and late, and I'm, I don't know how it goes. Yeah, you're the USB all port discourse. goes right into your ear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that was great. And that other voice who is starving themselves of good content is none other <laughs> than the queen of the Midwest herself, Drea Clark. What's good? What's good? I actually had a more tangible what's good, but I'm going to save it because it will save, if only to share the intangible joy that Ify just reminded me of. So this is a audio podcast. Our viewers or listeners can't view, meaning they don't know that he moved his camera on his computer. <laughs> and so we had this whole conversation and it just reminded me of back in the heyday of mockumentaries when like... <laughs> Every comedy that came out or like there were so many TV shows. My favorite moment in any movie is when someone looks up and sees the camera and is like, oh, I didn't see you there. 
Yeah. Or <laughs> well, hello. Or if they have to work in a like they're midway through and they're like, what? What's this camera doing here? <laughs> I love and treasure those moments. I was reminded of them by Iffy and also because I was just introducing friends to what we do in the shadows. And they have a great one of them because they don't acknowledge the camera until like the old Nosferatu looking guy is like being like announcing things to them. And then he's walking around the room and he's the one that's like, and, and who are you? Anyway, <laughs> it's my favorite part of every movie. And I hope from now on people think of me. When Ooh. someone addresses the camera that is shooting them. I feel like I'm Iffy's boss spying on him to make sure that he's being productive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, undercover it's, boss. It's, it's, it's so high up. Like, it, it, this has a whole, it has a surveillance uh, vibe to it. I feel like I'm the nanny cam that I stuck in a bunny above his desk. <laughs> yeah. The my, elf the, on the shelf, if you will. Yes. The babysitter's not watching the child. They're just playing video games on my PC. <laughs> That's all I'm seeing. Speaking of which, Ify, what's good? Nice. Oh, what's good with me? It actually is a seamless transition of the last thing I said. Uh, I've been playing uh, the Spider-Man Miles Morales game because I finally have been able to acquire a PlayStation 5. I have a PlayStation 5 and I got the Xbox Series X. I am no longer in the hunt for those things, but I was holding off of playing the Spider-Man Miles Morales game until I got the PS5 and it was worth the wait. It's great. It's an amazing Miles Morales story. If you're looking for something to keep you kind of juiced up until you get your next Spider-Verse, it's great. It's a separate Miles Morales. There's different things. Like it's a separate verse. Like, you know, his dad isn't alive in this one. So it's him and his mom. And I think this one really like leans into his New York Afro-Latina roots. There's like a lot of lines where he's like speaking Spanish with his mom. So I think it's a real treat. And yeah, stellar story. Bravo to the Sony uh, video game team that brought that Spider-Man to life. It was a treat, very cinematic. And now I'm getting all the trophies because I want to get the platinum trophy in this game. Well, we want that for you too, hon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember I used to years ago, I used to play some online kind of like like solitaire game or whatever, where you would pass certain levels and get these badges. And I remember Dave one time looking over my shoulder and witheringly saying, it's a picture of a badge on the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) And you were like, yeah, yeah. I earned it and you didn't. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It took me hours. You know what? Gold stars peel. It never peels on the internet. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're discussing Annette, and man, I got lots of things to say about it. Uh, we're going to discuss Adam Driver's movie star status, and uh, as always, we're going to have staff picks. But first, it's time for our new segment, Itadick, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer the question, Is This Important? Do I Care? And first up, we got some movie delays. It was announced this week that Paramount is pushing the release date of three major releases due to COVID-19 concerns. Those films are Top Gun Maverick, Mission Impossible 7, and Jackass Forever. Mission Impossible 7, which had been slated for release next year on a Memorial Day weekend, has been moved to September 30th, 2022, while Top Gun Maverick moves to that Memorial Day slot from the previous spot of November 19th, and Jackass Forever will move from October 2nd to February 4th, 2022. Is this important? Do you care? 
Uh, I mean, yes, uh, I think it's important and I care because this is this is the canary in the coal mine. Like when the studios are, are, are have sat down and done the math, you know, this is like that thing of like they don't recall the car unless it's going to kill so many people that the payouts are going to cost more than the recall would. Um, this is the deal of like, all right, if, if Paramount has has crunched the numbers and figured out we can't make the money that we need to make in the US and in Asia and in Australia and in these various other territories because theaters do not look like they're going to be back to capacity anytime soon, then that is kind of scary. But you, you know, but, but it's a bellwether. And so I, if you know, they Paramount had already taken Clifford, the big red dog off of 2021 entirely with no new date yet. So they are, and, and, and they've got Paramount plus, it's not like they can't do the, the, the streaming theater cha-cha if they feel like it. So if they're making this step, I, I hope that, you know, anybody out there who who doesn't take masking or vaccination seriously, Paramount does, and yeah. they understand what it's doing to the economy and what's doing to their potential numbers. So if you won't take it seriously from the health experts, take it seriously from the people putting out Tom Cruise movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that there's, I mean, on one thing connected to it, as people may notice this episode and ensuing ones, we've kind of gone back ourselves to a more um, con- uh conscious uh choice yeah Yeah, we we are we're staying out of movie theaters conscientious that's what thank you alonzo yeah um in terms of choosing films that are just available streaming or also available streaming um just for our own safety and hopefully any listeners who like to watch things and then at the same time as us so i get that and then also you know the, the broader picture, like Alonzo said, is the number crunching that's going on for like potential losses. And one of the things, too, is these are big ass movies, especially mm-hmm. Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7. Those are some ducats that went into making those films. You cannot <laughs> mm-hmm. release them unless you're going to make billions worldwide when you open. And right now it is like the U.S. has always been pretty lacking when it comes to um, hard and fast mandates. But certainly other territories that Paramount needs big hits in a lot like in China, in a lot of Asian markets, their cinemas literally are still at only 50% capacity or less. And just the access to that, never mind to the people willing to sort of stick mm-hmm. their necks out during Delta, this Delta variant. But yeah, so it's it all filters into that. You have to think, although Tom Cruise, because he makes back end on these things, he is richer than Jesus. Mm, but Tom yeah. Cruise, eternal youth given to him by the fact he filmed these mofos Two years ago, they're not going to be on the big screen. These are prime years that Tom Cruise just gets to hip, like leapfrog over and just stay as fresh and dewy as he was in 2019 when he shot them. It's not like decades ago where he could just give Stanley Kubrick a year of his life and slough it off. Right, no. Tick, 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 baby. Uh, No. I mean, remember when he yelled at that guy on the set for not not taking COVID seriously? That was, what, 20 years ago? When did that happen? I I know. He's probably sent him a strongly worded email right now. He's like, see Uh, what I was talking about? See what I was talking about? Now this? 
But yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, just to reiterate that and what we're doing, I think the beauty of this pod and like the, the general energy vibe, the, you know, ethos is we want to watch movies with y'all. And, you know, while we may be able to find safe ways to screen these things, we don't want you putting yourself at risk just to watch the things that we're watching. So we can all watch them at home and, uh, you know, not take horse pills. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> I feel like that was the tipping point. That was the, the point in which Paramount was like, yeah, this ain't getting better. No. This ain't yeah. getting better. And in the case of Shang-Chi, we don't have a safe way to see it because Disney wouldn't send anybody a screener link to that movie. Oh so and we're we'll be talking about that one later. We'll yes. be talking about Candyman later. Everything that's in theaters that we can't get to at the moment, when, when they're more universally accessible, we will absolutely circle back and talk about them because in various ways, they are important films and the kind of films that we talk about here. Nice. Truth. Yes. All right. So next we have an article about why Lily Wachowski was not involved with the Matrix Resurrections. A fourth Matrix film is set to be released this December, allegedly, called The Matrix Resurrections. One of the original co-directors, Lana Wachowski, is directing the film, but the other original co-director, her sister, Lily Wachowski, is not. In a recent virtual panel for the Television Critics Association summer tour... For her Showtime show, Work in Progress, Lily Wachowski opened up about the many reasons she's not co-directing the fourth Matrix film. She discussed how when Lana presented the idea to her, Lily had just transitioned and had just finished working on Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, and Sense8 back to back to back. She also talked about the project being formulated around the death of their parents. Quote, we started talking about it in between our dad dying and our mom dying, which was like five weeks apart. And then there was something about the idea of going backward and being part of something I had done before that was expressly unappealing. And like, I didn't want to have gone through my transition and gone through this massive upheaval in my life, the sense of loss for my mom and dad, to want to go back into something I had done before and sort of walk over old paths I had walked in, felt emotionally unfulfilling and really the opposite. Like I was going to go back and live in these old shoes in a way. And I didn't want to do that. Is this important? Do you care? Yeah, because we like that's something I really didn't consider, but the Matrix was a huge point in the Wachowski's career. And it's something I didn't consider that, you know, um, remaking this kind of takes them back to that, the, who they were at that time. And just on a mental level can be so exhausting. It just brings you back all the memories and just from stories my friends have shared about the time before you transition, you just feel so, you know, cooped up besides the dysmorphia. So it makes so much sense. And it's so funny because I feel like when it first was announced that um, Lily wasn't going to be involved, people thought it might have been like some drama and it really is a simple just mental health thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I think a lot of people who transition continue in the same career path that they were on before. But there's something about a sequel where you are kind of demanded to do that again. We want this only slightly different, but not too different because it should be the same. And so I think for any creator, you have to kind of put yourself in the mindset of like, how do I return to this mm -hmm. earlier period of my life when I made this first film? And so for somebody like Lee Wachowski, I think it's a much more dramatic, you know, kind of uh, contrast between those two places. And, uh, you know, I think in general, 
unless the money's right, most filmmakers would just as soon not have to make sequels. I don't think it's anybody's anybody's dying to do that because, you know, Roger Ebert famously called them, you know, filmed deals. Um, so, you know, I, I good honor for being able to like, look, Lana, run with this. You want to go with it, make this happen. But I, I made that movie three times already. I don't <laughs> want to do it again. I do. It is a unique um position because they are sisters and they've both transitioned and you it is the rare time where you get to see two women making totally different decisions for themselves like lana obviously wholeheartedly embracing going back into this world and i can see i totally agree with alonzo on there is something exhausting in general about the idea of a sequel of what you're up against creatively but also this is such a big world they created and it pulls from so many references so one hopes that you know lana is fueled by a lot of just loving that world and wanting to continue playing in it. And it is so nice. It's so silly how nice it is to be like, oh, it is just one of the directors didn't want to do it. And the other one understands and they moved on. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? There was no revelation of petty infighting or (laughs) we had creative differences or whatever else. I certainly, I am excited as well because Lily Wachowski, the project that she has been doing, is light years away from the matrix and it's fantastic work in progress on showtime um, is uh, a half hour comedy about uh, she's, I love how she describes herself. It's the whole thing of like a self-described like fat lesbian, like a fat suicidal lesbian. (laughs) And, and there's so much, it's so funny and unique. And I really like just, she's flexing a whole new set of muscles and skills and good for her. And and I was a huge fan of all of those interim projects. You know, I, I know, I mean, Cloud Atlas, you know, we did a whole episode about it. I have mixed feelings, but, you know, I am, I still am a fan of Jupiter Ascending and I really loved Sensate. So, you know. Um, Alonzo, are you not quoted on the uh, <laughs> Jupiter Ascending? Is it the DVD? It is the DVD. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that got brought up. If Jupiter Ascending is getting brought up. Uh, I, I just want the record to show that I didn't bring it up this time. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, I, I leave, that's what I leave I'm here to, for. I leave that to my hype lady. Exactly. Um, speaking of hype, a new adaptation of Dune from director Denis Villeneuve is coming out in October. About to pre- It's premiering this week, actually, at the Venice Film Festival. Uh, and actor David Desmalchian, who we just saw in Suicide Squad, uh, who is one of the stars of the film, has recommendations on the best way to enjoy the movie. According to Screen Rant, uh, Des Malchian, recently uh, seen on the big screen as Polka Dot Man, says everyone should read the book by Frank Herbert in September before watching the movie. Quote, let's call September Dune Book September, and then we'll call October Dune Movie October. So you're going to read the book, and then you're going to see Denis' version on film on IMAX the weekend that it opens in cinemas, unquote. And then, according to Smalchian, after you see Denis Villeneuve's version in October, in November, you must watch David Lynch's Dune adaptation, the sci-fi series, and the documentary Yodorovsky's Dune. Because then, according to Smalchian, we'll all be authorities on Dune, and we'll get online together to have long discussions and debates. Unquote. Is this important? Do you care? (laughs) I love the benign version of the internet that is being implied in this. Like above and beyond what he's talking (laughs) about with Dune, 
bless his heart for just this idea of like, let's all just take in this media and actually talk about its merits because we've seen everything and we're not just guessing about it from something someone else told us or a poster we saw once. I love that he's feeling Oprah about it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, that's, yeah. That's uh, th- th- that was the immediate thing I picked up on Drea is that is like, this is this version of the internet that he's thinking of is one. This is someone hey, who definitely let's doesn't read a book. Yeah, yeah, let's. This is someone who does not take place in discourse, uh, especially. <laughs> he's, he's, he's like, let's all see every part of it before we start to judge. And it's like, no, we don't. They they don't do that on there. Uh, I, 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 I agree. I would love that, but they don't do that. So I am someone who I I I read Dune. And it did take me a good long while. I love fiction. That's my jam. I, it was something that paid off for me. I love the documentary Yodorowsky's Dune. And obviously, like David Lynch, I think anyone who's seen that version had some pretty, like it was a formative thing for them. Like you can remember oh, whose yeah. basement you were in when you <laughs> saw it the first oh, time. What? What's funny about this, the idea that you can't just go waltzing into this movie that you have to have done all the homework first, <laughs> yeah. reminds me of when Lynch's Dune opened in 1984 and you went to see it in a the theater, they handed you a glossary on the way in. I love that. Hand no. to God. This, oh, is, wow. this is like a legendary thing. They handed you a glossary so you would know what the Kwisatz Haderach was and all that other stuff. And it's like, who... What can you imagine at a multiplex? People sitting down and pouring over the glossary before um, the movie you starts. You know, I would have. You know, yeah, you would. I would have. Yeah, yeah. You re- you stop and read all the plaques. But I'm talking I- about <laughs> Joe, average moviegoer here. You know, that's fair. It's just so. It's just, so the, frankly, having never seen any of the movies or read any of the books. I, this just sort of confirms my notion of like this is just too dense. If I can't just see a movie and see a movie, well, that I have to need that I need that I need like footnotes and a novel and a glossary and you know like uh, the, the 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 notes on how to read Ulysses to watch this movie, <laughs> then screw it. I I don't need it. I am very excited for Dune, but also it's funny. This is just part one. Like. The Dune that's coming out is only the first half of the book. They do not have a green light for the second half yet. So that is a very funny thing to me. No fool's day at Warner Brothers. Yeah, the (laughs) amount of people that are going, and it's this incredible cast. He is a really, I love, Denis Villeneuve's vision, like he's one of the few sort of recent auteurs that I can get behind of, of really pushing narrative limits in interesting ways. I'm very excited to see what he does with this. Um, but I guess we can add the uh, possible future part two to our Dune reading and watching assignments. Yeah. Oh, yes. Please and can't indeed. wait. Yeah. Well, uh, while we go ahead and uh, write up the glossary for the part two of Dune, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about Annette. Get ready. If you're sick of constantly arguing with the people closest to you about topics that really aren't going to change the world, we're here to take that stress off of your shoulders. We take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's right, Hal. If you have a subjective question that you want answered objectively, 
once and for all time for all of the people of the world. Questions like, who's the best Disney villain, Mac or PC? Or should you put ketchup on a hot dog? That's why we're here. Yes, I get that these are the biggest questions of our time. And we're often joined by special guests like Nathan Fillion, Orlando Jones, and Paget Brewster. So let Mark and Hal take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal, weekly on Maximum Fun. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Look, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have, life can be stressful. Uh, you look, I can be so busy, but and trying to fit all types of uh, therapy in, it just doesn't seem like it will work. But, you know, thanks to BetterHelp, I have been using it. Uh, shout out. Uh, and they actually have options to where you can talk to a therapist via text on your own time. And I do feel bad because sometimes I'm leaving my mans on red. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress is high, you could probably use the chance to unload. Unload it, get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased about your life. Someone who isn't going to judge you or take sides on anything. You'll be surprised at how much it can help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. And it's more affordable than in-person therapy. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Maximum Film listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash MaxFilm. Have your first session in under 48 hours at B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash MaxFilm. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Alonzo Duraldi. And today we're talking about Annette. Alonzo, would you mind providing us with a brief synopsis? Sure. Uh, okay. We open uh, on a New Yorker, uh, sorry, on a Los Angeles, very Los Angeles, on a Los Angeles recording studio uh, where uh, those guys from that Sparks Brothers documentary uh, introduce us to the film. And uh, joining them are uh, Adam Driver and uh, Marion Cotillard and Simon Helberg. And then they all get into various vehicles and we begin the drama. And uh, Driver is an obnoxious comedian. I say my show kills. But relax, see my contract? Save your breath. Says so here. Mr. Henry McHenry is not allowed to make the public laugh to death. (laughs) Cotillard is an acclaimed opera singer. They are in love and they will tell you about it in song a lot. We love each other so much. Uh, They get married. She has a baby. The baby is named Annette. The baby is played by a series of puppets. Um, and uh, then tragedy strikes and things get worse and then things get worse and things get worse. Uh, but they're singing the whole time. That was, yeah, th- that, that was brief. Yeah, that that was, was, you did yeah. it. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah, not wrong about any of it. Uh, has, have, have you, yeah, have you kids seen a Leo Carox movie before? 
Yes. No, this is uh, this is my first time uh, riding the car rocks, uh, and I gotta say, uh, it was a ride. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I had a, had a, had a, I really definitely enjoyed this, but it was funny because the funny thing is like you know I hit play from the search, and then after uh, you know it ends, it's like two and a half stars, and I was like. I see that. Like I, I see how some people. <laughs> well, came I, out went, of this. I went to the I went to the Amazon main menu thinking it was just going to like pop right up. Surely yeah, this yeah. is a movie they're yeah. really pushing. And I had to scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. And I finally found it under romantic movies. No. And I was like, oh yeah. I had to search it by uh, name. I was like, this came out like a week ago. This just premiered at Cannes days ago. Why is this so weird? So I will say, yes, I've seen Leo Karak's films before I saw Holy Motors. I mm-hmm. never say they were, okay, poof, I did it this time. And Mauvais Song. Mauvais, okay. Okay. Which I really loved. And also are the kind of films, Adam Driver was attached to this one for a really long time through several iterations. There were different um, female leads attached and i absolutely understand why an actor like adam driver would watch leo cracks films and be like yes sign me up for that kind of shenanigan and he is definitely you know we i we talk a lot about flavor or i do like films or certain filmmakers he is very much a specific flavor kind of filmmaker and you are either going to enjoy the boundaries that are pushed and all of the like crazy things that are happening visually and narratively, like all these things, or you are going to watch and be like, well, I, I hate this. I, I don't want to be here right now. Well, I'll tell you, I've, I have had both of those reactions to his films before because I love Holy Motors. Like it's one of my favorite films of this millennium. And like, I've, I've, I showed it when to, you know, students when I was teaching. Um, but I, I thought, I thought Pola X was a movie that was just designed to punish me. Uh, you personally, <laughs> me personally, yes. I was just sitting there going, like, Oh my God, what is this? When is this going to be over? Dave is loving every second of it, of course. And I was just like in hell, but you know, but I gave him another chance and, and, and I was totally down for Holy Motors. I need to go back and see Mauvais Song and Lovers on the Bridge and the other stuff. But um, yeah, this one is, I, I what I I always find it interesting when and this has happened, you know, this is kind of a history of cinema thing. You know, you look like Godard did it and several other folks where you get these filmmakers who are, like you say, really pushing the boundaries and not sort of playing by the usual rules. And then name stars want to work with them and so then that suddenly gets them into maybe theaters or or a film conversation they weren't in before and people who are fans of the name stars stumble into the movie and are like what is this you know so i'm sure for like the 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 adam driver people who are like oh that star wars guy who was on girls you know they they pop this out of the romantic movies menu on amazon and they are not oh, going to be those aren't the oh. fans i'm concerned about it's the simon Helberg Big Bang Theory people that <laughs> yes. wandered oh, yeah. their way over to a net. They're yes, going to be like, yes. oh, Bazinga. Well, well, it's like I mean, John Waters always tells the story about the families that love hairspray and they go, oh, what else yeah. has this guy done? And they rent <gasps> pink flamingos, you know? Well, also, yeah, I, that was, speaking of hairspray, I mean, we're talking about those fans, but what do we think musical fans are going to think about this? Oh, like, uh, <laughs> uh, let me quote my Facebook thread, because believe me, <laughs> the the brand of like, you know, MGM banner carrier old queen types were like, what even is this? 
you know but but if you are but if your idea of a musical is something like you know a, a Jacques Demy movie or something then like okay yeah I get what I get what we're doing here it is um, it really is giving you the nightmare of people who don't like musicals because they're like, I just, I don't like when they sing everything. And there's plenty of musicals that are more, they kind of give you a reason of why people burst into song. And one of the things with Annette is these people are singing because what they're, A, there's an absurdism level that is necessary because the whole thing is sort of critiquing certain elements of both passion and celebrity and all these mm -hmm. other things but it's almost like you can't speak these words because you're feeling them too much i must sing them to you and because of that all of these songs give that quality of when you're joking like people who don't like musicals when they're like i hated musicals when they're like oh i'm gonna stand over here now that is a net <laughs> yeah. Like a net, <laughs> that is a net. And this is a pass me the yeah. mashed potatoes musical. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, while we're talking about the musical elements, I have to highlight this pun that Casey worked real hard on, which is Cunnasingus. Question oh my mark. god! Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, he did. I can't yeah. believe this got that much notice from like the world press. It's like it's a such a brief moment in the film. Speak soft when you say it. Speak soft when you say We love each other so much I, Well, it's so funny because this is that it is something that like if I was watching would be a passing moment but there is like an element too where you know you you don't normally see women receiving oral on camera so you got that plus the added thing of him coming up to sing, to sing the chorus I think is what, yeah, is and then what going back it, to work yeah. yeah going back to work i think even that's more what i call that, it too great 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 oh, yeah. uh great venture. yeah i'm like i'm going to work yeah you are that the, <laughs> Time to the clock thing in. too that whole sequence even more impressively to me is like they are nude and having sex while singing for at least a verse and a chorus and mm. they are so and they're both of course just like beautiful people with beautiful bodies and they're impeccably arranged like he's holding her boobs in a way that you're like don't worry censors yeah. you're not going to see a single nipple because i got <laughs> these boobs right here and there's something about that the artificiality of love scenes anyway in movies can be if you ever think of taking a step back to like what yeah. the crew is doing now imagine taking a step back during a net when they are having a sex scene, like a full sweaty thrusting sex scene. And there's playback. While our, And then there's <laughs> musical playback and then they're singing to each other. Yeah. It's truly like the, the commitment level you need from actors for this entire enterprise yeah. is so, it's so enormous. And I do think all of the, actors rose to the challenge oh yeah that's what i was gonna say is like you know yeah everything we're saying on paper if i didn't see it i'd be like there's no way that worked but watching it it really did like especially with the song they were doing at the time it really did kind of the passion played for me and i was like yeah this is i was watching it thinking this shouldn't work but it does like i really enjoyed like that uh you know that whole scene and that element of speeding us along also, this movie is a movie that I feel like has a lot of ideas and I could tell because this, it moves really fast. Like I feel like if you 
stop paying attention for a moment, you will need to rewind because it is a fat. You would think a two hour and 20, <laughs> 20 minutes film would, you know, just uh, breathe a little. But this movie really is like we're going we're going through it. We're seeing well, all elements. Dave watched it for the first time. Then he goes, this is kind of like a silent movie where a thing happens and then everybody talks about the thing that just happened. And then the next thing happened. And then everybody talks about that thing. Yeah. Exactly. He goes, and, then, and then at the same time, it's like an opera because not only is everything sung and obviously the, a lot of the music is really has that sort of grandiosity, but the way that like lines get repeated and musical phrases get repeated over and over and over again. I'm really glad I saw uh, Edgar Wright's Sparks documentary before seeing this movie, because I think knowing a little more about Sparks than I did before kind of gave me this undercurrent of like, okay, I see what we're doing here. I see how this fits into like their jam and how they, how they, if you said, Hey guys, write me a movie, this is what they would come up with. You know? It's certainly, yeah. And and I think again, another reason it's so story dense, like if he was saying is because it's written by musicians who are like, they're trying really hard to move things along the whole time. And they're looking at it from probably like song construction as a base versus the story. I will say part of what didn't work for me is just another of those flavor things. And please do not tell Edgar, but Sparks music is not my jam. Like there's something <laughs> it's not, you know, it's this thing of, I'm like, Oh, the syncopation and the, the musician, it's just not my thing. I don't particularly dig their music. Tying that to a heavy narrative where people are singing dialogue in a lot of ways, but in a it's it is more artful than that, and I don't want to dismiss them because I do have a lot of respect for them. But yeah, no, I I like I loved the doc, but I didn't run out and buy any of their albums. Like there was nothing about it that really grabbed me. But I, I am interested in how it's the music is used here in the same way that I would be interested in a movie that was like entirely an iambic pentameter. You know, yeah. just be, just in that it, it, it's a different way to to tell the story, to communicate how these characters feel. And so yeah, I'm not buying the soundtrack to this. Probably probably either but i i do I, I do kind of admire sort of like what they're doing and how they're doing it and the fact that they are la natives and this is such an la movie and we just came off this two episode cycle yeah. where we were talking about la films you know there there is something kind of cool we're like oh they're right by the royal oh they're over here. like yeah. I, you know you know they're where the they are yeah. if you live here you know you you recognize landmarks and such I think there's also, I mean, the whole thing has a kind of meta quality to it because one of the, I like, I like the filmmaking in Annette a lot more than I like the story or the music even. Like mm -hmm. the filmmaking is so incredible. There's so many times when I'm like, the choices of how you're presenting this moment blow my mind. I've seen thousands and thousands of films and the fact that I've never seen what you just did and you did that like 10 times in this movie is so impressive to me. And there's also the, the acknowledgement, like 
So they're singing everything. And to the point that like when they encounter paparazzi or audience members, they also sing to them. It's not just these two people. It's this world is a world where things are sung. And that's why there's this meta quality with Simon Helberg's character, because one of the cracking points later is... Um, he, you know, Adam Driver's character hears Simon Helberg like singing a song or sampling a song that he teaching it used, to Annette. Yeah, that he used to sing with his wife, and he's like, "That's our song." And I was like, "Wait, so you know these are songs?" <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What? Is oh. ha- what? <laughs> That's the thing that comes up in Schmigadoon, where they're like, <laughs> where somebody somebody bursts into song and somebody else asks about the song, like, "What what song? What are you talking about?" Right. Like they don't even know that that they were singing. And this movie does at least kind of say it. The, the other thing I meant to mention though about the the LA ness of it all is that this movie is also kind of playing around with these sort of like with LA stories about itself. So like, you know, there are shots that remind you of sunset Boulevard or something. And then also kind of touches upon like real life Hollywood tragedies, like the death of Natalie Wood, for instance, I think was certainly a, a touchstone for, for a major, you know, plot point of the film. So it's, yeah, this is a very dense package. And, you know, we reviewed it like a month ago on breakfast all day. And I was like, talk to me in a year. You know, like, let me just sit on this one for a while and see it a few more times. And like, having watched it a second time today, kind of half watching it because I was not in the mood for going through what I knew it was going to put me through. So I was sort of watching it out of the corner of my eye. Uh, I, this is one that I I, I, I want to come back to. And so I'm not going to stand here and give you like a final opinion, but I, I was it, it, like you say, you you will see stuff in here that you've never seen in a movie before. Oh, yeah. No, that's uh, that's that's kind of what I wanted to touch on real quick is uh, Drea. You said that you like uh, mockumentaries when people acknowledge it. And then there's the scene where he's conducting and he's like, give me a second. Yes. And then he starts going. <laughs> so do that's was one that, of my favorite that? scenes. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Simon Helberg, by the way, this is the th- first off. I watched it the whole time thinking that guy's so much richer than anyone else that has anything to do with this <laughs> movie. It's so like wild. He's it's like so-, so stupid broadcast TV comedy yeah, rich. Oh. But it made me laugh too that this is the third big movie I've seen him in where he plays an accompanist and uh, like a, because he did Saving Mr. Banks, um, the. F- Florence Jenkins. What was the fabulous? Oh, Florence Foster Jenkins. Florence Foster Jenkins. And then this one. And I'm like, Simon Helberg is just like, thank God my parents made me take piano lessons. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or I'd be playing like little comedic nerds my whole life. Oh, man. Um, I I was asked by super producer Casey Iffy, is this what it's like being a stand up comedian? Uh, I mean, definitely. Oh, that's right. Because Adam Driver. Is, yeah, is it uh, which allegedly a standard <laughs> yeah, comedian? Which there were so many elements of it that I was like, "What?" Like the venue that is like his he's performing in. I'm like, "Oh, I don't think I've seen any comic think go here." You know, it's uh, more like a one man show, like performance. Yeah, exactly, it, it, it's like when when Dennis Leary treated No Cure for Cancer as a one man show. Yeah, yeah. If and, he, and is that funny. your dream? Is that your well, dream scenario? Not, not at all. And I was going to be like, this is a stand-up. But then, you know, thanks to Bo Burnham, I'm like, this definitely feels like a Bo Burnham-esque Ooh. comic. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then and after that, it just it wrapped me back. And I was like, okay, now I'm back. Yeah, this is this this that's the it's that guy. He's a Bo this Burnham is, type. This He's is a the Mike kind of guy Biglia. Who, 
This is the kind of guy who wants his stand-up set published by Samuel French. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but but also they really nailed uh, the being broke too. Uh, like that's the being broke. We've seen him have a meltdown on stage. These are all beats of a stand-up comics career. We see him uh, talking too personally about his own intimate life. Yeah, yeah, and people are like, "Stop!" A hostile audience in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if he was going to do a sequel, we would need you know him talking to camera, saying how he got COVID and he took Invermectin, <laughs> no. even though uh, he <laughs> interviews scientists regularly and has no reason to believe that it would work. But it doesn't matter because he is rich and he will bounce back from it. And really, the only people who are danger are the people who listen to his podcast and will do the same thing. Thing and not be rich and able to recover from those mistakes. You know, we're still talking about Annette, by the way. Oh, for uh, sure. Don't, don't yeah, give yeah, away yeah. these plot gems. Yeah. For, for You're definitely talking about Henry McHenry, the yeah, Adam yeah, Driver character, and <laughs> certainly not any other publicly known comedians. Looking at this uh, and seeing this musical, uh, what, like, we, we've seen this a few times where, like, established directors have wanted to make, you know, musicals like, you know, Spike Lee or even like, you know, La La Land. And that was the dream. Uh, so is do we think that secretly all directors want to make musicals or what, what, what do we think is the reason they're so I, drawn to it? I have a theory that, that there's something about musicals where it, it they are maybe the most directed of, of the films <laughs> in terms of there's so many literal moving parts going on and there's so much of a tone and so much uh, of the stuff that has that everything's kind of heightened. And so, you know, you can do a straightforward drama or even a comedy and it can kind of come off as, oh, it's sort of naturalistic and oh, you just kind of turn the camera on and that happened. But like, no, you look at a musical and you know that like somebody with a clipboard and you know a bullhorn was making this thing happen and so yeah i think that eventually everybody wants to kind of flex that muscle as a as a director and you know you you get a very wide range of very kind of autorial, uh, you know, musicals to ones that are very kind of like just homages to to older forms. You know, Carax has been, I think, himself. If you look at like, there's a whole Kylie Minogue musical number in Holy Motors. There's there are musical aspects to you know Pola X. You know, he's got all this Scott Walker music and Move Song, and a lot of his earlier films incorporate one way or other. There's at least a moment where like everything kind of stops and a music sort of takes over. So this is a natural progression for him but yeah I've been saying for years you know if you look at like the jitterbug sequence in 1941 and the opening credits of Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom Steven Spielberg is dying to make a musical and this year we'll finally I guess get to see what that looks like when his version of West Side Story comes out allegedly Ooh, allegedly comes out allegedly yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no I, I totally agree I think it's it's an artistic aspiration for a lot of directors Many of them motivated by the fact that they are fans of a deep well of cinema themselves, including musicals. And there's also it's a, something you need a certain budget to do. You need mm. to be at a certain level to be making these kind of movies. So, yeah. Yeah. Love it's them. A flex on top of everything else. It's really, yeah. It really is. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, let me know. <laughs> Will you be screening it, streaming it? Or skipping it. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess so we're back to this. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
because I've streamed it twice now. But yes, uh, uh, as far as our meter goes, screen it for sure. Uh, it is on the list of movies I hope one day to see in a theater. Uh, because yeah, it, it is glorioski. There's a lot happening here. And and it is made with a great deal of verve. Um, and so yeah, it's, it is exciting filmmaking. You may be baffled. You may be angry. Um, but I think you will find it just endlessly compelling because there's so much happening here and there's so many cool ideas and the, the performances are so good. And it is a movie that's really like constantly, constantly, constantly sort of, you know, aiming for the back fence. Yeah. I think this one's hard to put in our normal categories because it's the kind of film that almost wants to be divisive and stream it for me is that sort of like sweet genial middle spot that this movie has no interest in. I think that <laughs> Annette is interested in people who want to screen it or people who want to skip it. And I think because it's ironically only available via streaming, you can have the option then to take a little sample and like I said, test the flavor. And if you're like, oh yeah, this is nutballs from this minute it starts, I'm going to give it a go, then take the ride. I think that there's so much here. I am with Alonzo. This is not a movie I could see myself seeing multiple times. However, it is a movie I would very much like to see on a big screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a screen it as well. And my I've it, this was another one of those movies that while watching it, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to watch this again. I'm gonna have to <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to I need I need to I'm gonna come go ahead through. and call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna call it now. This is gonna be a, a twofer. Uh so yeah, I, I'm excited to give it another watch and yeah, I really enjoyed what uh what what was cooked up. Um so I'm coming back for seconds. So on that note, we'll be right back after a short break. But when we come back, we got some fun stuff to talk about. See you in a bit. We have a few words from our buddies at Soylent. Soylent, the original food tech company, makes delicious and nutritious nutrition products in convenient formats. I have talked about this before, but I'm a big fan of Soylent Squared, which are in fact square shaped. And they're 100 calorie complete nutrition bar that you can throw in your purse or your pockets if you're not a purse person. And they're great because they, I find them very filling and very satisfying. And they also tell you how many nutrients you're getting on each one. And I can't begin to tell you, I really delight in knowing the exact percentage of vitamins that I am consuming because I do not always consume a lot of vitamins. Not to brag. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what kind of makes it the perfect meal on the go because you don't have to prepare anything, but you know you're getting filled with uh, all the things you need to keep that body running good. It's perfect for breakfast. You can have it at lunch. Basically, anytime you want a nutritious meal, Soylent is there for you in a bottle form or a delicious tiny little square. Go to Soylent.com slash MaxFilm and use promo code MaxFilm to get 20% off your first order. That's S-O-Y-L-E-N-T dot com slash MaxFilm and promo code M-A-X-F-I-L-M for 20% off your first order. Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. 
Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Patton Oswalt, Kelsey Dara, and Open Mike Eagle. I have this public facing self, and then I have my emotional self that tends to stay hidden. It was about finding a way to communicate to somebody that like, there's terrible sh going on back here. Plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ivywadiwe. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde. Drea Clark. And with the release of Annette, we're once again discussing Adam Driver. He's been in major blockbusters like Star Wars, but he's also in weirdo art films like Annette. Is he a movie star or just a talented actor? We discuss. I think he's I think he's that guy. I think that periodically in the industry, there's a that guy where every director is like, oh, get me that guy. Yeah. Uh, it's like how there was that moment where Keanu Reeves was making like goofy Hollywood movies, but then he was also in Bram Stoker's Dracula and he was in Little Buddha and like, like you know, all of these, Bertolucci and Coppola and like all these major directors are like, oh yeah, get me that guy. And at the moment, Adam Driver is that guy. You know, he's like, he's in Spielberg movies, but he's also in Jim Jarmusch movies and he's in Coen Brothers movies and he's in, you know, you can just, he's, he, I think it, it kind of makes you realize that so many actors get pigeonholed whereas a lot of actors could if given the opportunity do all kinds of shit because adam driver is currently doing all kinds of shit i do think a lot of it though is what he's into because mm -hmm. i'm sure that jim jarmusch would enjoy working with a wider range of big ass name stars but a lot of them are like i'm sorry uh, not for how only much? <laughs> for you want me yeah. to come, you're going to pay me in circus peanuts and there's definitely not even a trailer. I'm busy. So <laughs> yeah, an Adam driver is someone who I think I assume and projecting or whatever, but has an interest in those kinds of films oh, well, and sure. filmmakers himself. Oh yeah. And it makes yeah, such and a I, difference. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from him and saying that he's that guy. I'm just no, saying not that at all. He, you know, well, he, yeah. he, is, he is the sort of, he, 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 fulfills the, the 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 requirements of a lot of different kind of filmmakers and as Drea says he is willing to make all kinds of films yeah I, I think what it comes down to it's not even necessarily like um like you because I'm about to be put him in a similar category it's not like I'm sure Adam Driver can't go out in public without people asking him for his autograph here or there but I don't think it's the it'll be like if Tom Cruise goes into public there it's a problem it's mm -hmm. a i i think the best example is one time i was at the arc light the one right there uh the cinerama dole and tom hanks someone realized he was in a car and grown-ass adults ran from where the where the um like the tickets area are to not the box office but you know where you get the yeah. parking tickets over there oh, right oh, yeah, before yeah, you yeah. step into it and started running across to get to his car to take pictures. And Tom Hanks was a, a, a good sport, rolled down his windows, did a few poses, then drove off. I don't that think you'll man. necessarily get 
a group of people to do that for Adam Driver. Not because he's like not that popular. To me, he's the way I've put it in my head is he's in your boy status. And the reason I say your boy status is whenever I watch a movie with my aunts and that's my barometer of fame, because like if I ask any of my friends, we're all nerds and we know everyone, but like my, but my mom and my aunts, they're from Louisiana. They're not keeping up with anything. And so when they're, at the Adam Driver level, they're always like, oh, it's it's your boy. It's your boy, uh, uh, Kylo Ren. It's your boy, like like that. Whereas like, um, whereas like if it's Tom Hanks, they're like, that's Tom Hanks. That's right. Tom Cruise. That's my, and, yeah, my mother, that category is that guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that guy. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I, think, I think being a that guy is essential here because he is managing to be a character actor who mm-hmm. is also, by a quirk of fate, a movie star. Well, he, oh, yeah. Adam Driver's a really particular and unique blend of attributes for an actor. And I think it's one of the reasons he manages to be in both those camps. And one is he has the face of a character actor. And by that, I mean, he's not conventionally yeah. handsome and the dumbest kind of Western standard. Yeah, he's sexy as hell. Do not get me wrong. But, you know, you don't look at him and you're not like, oh, yes, you would have been like when you were 16 in the middle of Tiger Beat or whatever. He is also so tall and big and his musculature and his shape sets him aside from so many leading men that it it puts him in a different thing. Like if he had a different physique, he would be in a different category. And I think that I mean, that's true of everybody. All stars are, you know, it's sort of run through the mill of, and you've seen many uh, non-physique ones go through the Marvel gamut and end up mm. in, in that action-packed place anyway. Yeah. But I think Adam Driver is a fun blend of those things. And I also think it's unique, like the broader idea of what movie stars are anymore has changed yeah. so much, both in the film world, because stars are not the ones driving films in the same way that they did for decades. It's more <laughs> IP, like it's a lot more yeah. Yeah. property. Oh, yeah. So normally you were a Tom Cruise because you could open a movie, You could your bankability, you could open a movie, you could guarantee box office, you could do so internationally, all of those things. But now, you know, when you look at like uh, one of our, our beloved Fast and Furious franchise, that chock full of randies like yeah. who <laughs> what kind of random dudes are all up in this and they have added more and more star power over the years but the people who are watching that are not like oh finally oh yeah Charlize Theron is in this I will finally tune in to Fast and the F-. they don't care <laughs> well that's what like, I was gonna say that just lets you know the power of the IP when you have Helen fucking Mirren in a film and that's not the the thing the draw, we're constantly yeah. talking yeah. about bless <laughs> your heart because she is a goddess and by no yeah. means is she considered a draw for most movies oh, I man, think you can look well, at the box me. office for the queen and that will yeah. lock me up well, I was going to say, like, I think if, for Oscar bait, yes, but yeah. not for, for movies but like this. But even then, it's, yeah. And you're right, though. Like, Adam Driver is tall. He can be ripped when the role calls for it. So I'm sure he gets offered, like, every stupid action movie possible. And he's really shrewd about what he says yes to. And so it's like, yes, I'm Kylo Ren, but I'm also the Patterson guy, you know. And I'll also take this supporting role in Lincoln because, you know, it's this amazing ensemble and I get to work with Spielberg and I'm not going to be a diva about it because, you know, this is a guy who before 
girls we'd never heard of. So like, it's a pretty meteoric rise. I mean, I'm sure he paid a lot of dues before then, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, he is not placing himself above his station in a way that is a career killer for some people. He's being very smart about how he handles all this. Now, what I love, uh, what I love about it too, is just like my favorite thing, you know, um, uh, as an actor, it's always fun to Mm. see, uh, like an actor who loves doing it because, you know, you, you see people when they get into their bag and nothing wrong with it. You know, uh, this time will come for me too. Uh, when you, they're just doing, uh, just films like that, are lucrative for them and lucrative for their name in a big way. Whereas you have someone like Adam Driver who's like, no, I want to do stuff that's going to challenge me as an actor. That's going to be fun, which actually makes me excited whenever I do see him in something. Cause I'm like, Oh, he's going to give it his all. He's not coming in here for a check. He's coming in here to like perform. And that's always such a nice element to have. Uh, so yeah, straight up. Uh, love it. I I'm down. I want to put him in the Maximum Film Hall of Excellence. Oh, yeah. Our our brand new hall, you guys. We just had the marble floors polished. We have have all of these, like, well-lit podiums and things and all these, like, things to go on them. I am absolutely in favor of putting Mr. Adam Driver in the Maximum Film Hall of Excellence. Yes, even though he he has really been a household name for less than a decade, uh, I, I third that emotion. All right, it's official. Yeah, we locked Someone it in. Someone can send him his internet badge, <laughs> as yeah, Dave yeah. White would say. <laughs> his picture and I'm gonna just, of I'm a badge just, on the internet. While we're in the hall, I'm going to put Helen Mirren up there, too. Because uh, and uh, let her, let you know, tell her she's in Spain right now with Megan the Stallion. I don't know if you've seen the video, but I wanted, they started dancing together and I wanted to be in between them so bad. Aren't they in Helen, Italy? if you hear this, They're at the send Venice me your Film location. Fest. Oh, oh! Is that where they're? Don't at? let me dog you on your, your European knowledge, but uh... all all I know about the Venice Film Festival is I'm not there this year. <laughs> well, that's what I was just gonna yeah. say. Is yeah, the year don't they you open normally... with, the, with the new Almodovar movie? I'm not I mean, there. Just the <laughs> well, no, I feel because you are usually out there He's every year, right? Uh, that's well, this, this is my second year in a row not going because of obvious reasons. Waves yes. hands around, Why? but yeah. But before then, I I've been I've been like. Five or six times. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it, it is Venice. My bad. That was a my B, but I have this delightful video of them dancing. Um, and I, yeah, I'm going to go with you next time. Now that I know both Megan the Stallion and Helen Mirren's out there, Alonzo, get my ticket. I'm going to sit, be cozied <laughs> up next to you with a neck pillow. <laughs> Sweet. It's yeah. oh. All right. Well, uh, mm, uh. Let's keep this train rolling and get into our staff picks. It can be any movie at all. Drea, why don't you start? All right. So I have, although it's contrary to what we said at the beginning, because this is a film currently available theatrically, um, it is very near and dear to me. It's called No Man of God, um, and it is directed by Amber Seeley. Uh, Amber, I produced Amber's last film, No Light and No Land Anywhere. And this is a, um, it is a film starring Elijah, oh my gosh, Elijah Wood and Luke Kirby. I almost said Elijah Frodo. Elijah Frodo. <laughs> oh, travesty. Elijah Wood and Luke Kirby. It is, um, it's based around FBI agent Bill Hagmeyer's uh, relationship with Ted Bundy. Um, but Amber really, again, like I said, when filmmakers do things I haven't seen before, there are a few scenes in this where 
she manages in this very male space to recenter moments around the women who suffered at the hands of Ted Bundy, even in their absence. And I think it's just so artfully handled and just a really tense back and forth between the two of them. Great performances. Um, so yes, No Man of God, Amber, wonderful woman and a filmmaker to support. So if you are somewhere and can see things safely, it is currently available. Yeah, I haven't gotten to see it yet, but I, I sent Robert Abley to review it for The Wrap and he talked about the, the, the female gaze from the director really kind of making it uh, among a sea of Ted Bundy movies yeah. in the beginning of late, like one that's really noteworthy. Oh, that's great. So mine is kind of a tie-in with the film today. Uh, it is another uh, bittersweet uh, French musical where everything is sung, uh, but I think a very inspirational film probably for the makers of this one uh, and certainly for La La Land, which I paired it with back uh, on the first episode of a Film and a Movie, and that would be The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Uh, the uh, Catherine breakthrough movie Jacques Demy wrote it music by Michelle Legrand and uh, it is it is wistful and uh, heartbreaking and beautiful and uh, uh, just a really lovely film and and I think that it's it's a real cornerstone of a specific kind of you know achy musical that 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 that, uh, that I just really love and um it also ends at Christmas. So, you know, it's a, it's just win, win, win all the way around. It is currently streaming on uh, the Criterion channel, but also on HBO Max and on Canopy. So if you have any of those, you can watch it. It's a great mm. classic there. It's one of those films that's good if you're a movie watcher because you're going to see it. And then noticing how it's referenced in so many other films <laughs> for the last fifty will years, be, you know. like it'll it'll hit you in the face. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was yeah. My my staff pick was going to be fairly simple because it is the thing I kept thinking about the whole time, which was La La Land. I was like, this is like hardcore La La Land, uh, except you know they're together, and then you know in the end he's bad, and he's no guy. one discovers jazz. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, La La Land, you know, was a treat. Me and Demiante Juive both loved it that year. And we had to like be like, but Moonlight still needs to win. But <laughs> we do. So you got everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. We got it all. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dre and Alonzo, for a great show. As always, y'all are amazing. And if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash group forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at Maximum Film at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.